choir of men or women or both, it's easier to sing to. That's why we use these songs, right? And they are fantastically saturated in correct theology, biblical theology. Amen? And by the way, when you hear thousands of men sing these songs, oh my. It's just, you can feel it in your bones, literally. It is fantastic. Um, unbelievable. All right, let me get a new slide presentation here up. <clears throat> On Sunday, March 15th, 2020, how many remember that? Well, as I continue on, you might. On September 5th, Mar or Mar on Sunday, March 15th, 2020, we started the Life of Christ series. If you remember, the church was packed. Matter of fact, there were people in the back. It was so packed. The church was packed that day, and it was buzzing about what we had learned and truly excited about the following week that would, in our mind, ensue. This is what I wrote on Facebook. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not a Facebook fan, but it's a means to get words out, all right? It's just, it can be very dangerous, it's, it can be really stupid. But there, it is a means of communication that I am not given in other places. I said, I had a wonderful service at NBBC this morning. Pews and parking lot full. Best of all, we learned more about Jesus and His great love for our depraved being. God's grace, blessings. Thank you all for coming. See you next week for part two. Well, I lied. Not purposely. But it should have been said, Lord willing, we will see you next week. Because as soon as I got home, do you know those tattletale guys? How many know what a tattletale is? It's that younger sister that runs to mom and dad all the time for everything you do. No matter right or wrong. How many know what I'm talking about? Ah! <laughs> As soon as I got home, I was slammed with this by, and this guy's name's up, you don't know him, so it doesn't matter. <clears throat> this is a young man that I went to school with, and here's what he says, CDC recommending all gathering over 50 should be canceled. How dare you? Well, I didn't read this in the news that week, and frankly, our governor didn't say anything. I had no idea. Coronavirus disease, and he gives me links. And next one, I reply, we made our judgment based on Minnesota governor's suggestions and had nothing to do with canceling anything. But immediately, wars broke out. True? Not only wars between the people and government, but people with people. Wasn't very much longer and we got on May 24th I believe 2020 
we got the governor standing and telling us that we are now shut down. It is a law that we shut you down. All churches, uh, theaters, and they gave a list. And more work or more wars broke out, right? Now, looking back, which is what we should do if we are going to learn from that, and it's to learn from that, not to say, I told you so. What a ridiculous, wicked thing to say. But the governor said no more. Now, in reality, did they know anything about COVID-19? Did anybody know anything about COVID-19 and how it would affect people? No. Good job. I would maybe have tweaked it a little bit and said, okay, everybody stay in your homes. We're all shut down, maybe, to be consistent. But that would, the ramifications of that is unbelievable. Regardless, that's what they decided. And understandable. It's understandable. Weeks turned into, the two weeks, right? <laughs> turned into months. Turned into years for some people. Praise the Lord, the Lutherans and Catholics of Minnesota got together and forced the issue and churches were opened, right? During this time, I was, I was inundated with questions from pastors. Literally, some of them yelling at me. I had one call me up and say, I don't know what you can do, but what are you doing? I said, well, we're just following instructions right now because nobody knows what's going on. And we've got to be careful. And here's a message you can listen to to help with that. Well, I've got a problem. One of my elders won't let me, won't let me open church. Well, the governor says not to, so I get that. What do you want me to do? Well, I think you could do something about that. No, there's nothing I can do about that. The issue was, the guy was mad at my dad. And so... You've got to fix this. Well, I, there's nothing I can do, uh, nor would I do anything, um, because I'm not sure what stand we should take. I didn't help. He wasn't happy, but oh well. These are the types of communications I was having daily, it seemed like, with multiple people, multiple pastors. What was very disturbing is what leaders in the church I understand all of us reacted, how many would agree? All of us acted wrongly and rightly in many different ways. And all of us at some point were wrong. All of us were. But what is even worse is church leaders shouldn't be the ones proclaiming the wrong. How many understand this? And when we do find out what's wrong, let's go take care of what we said out of emotion on our Facebook page for the world to see this is what a pastor says. How many agree with that? One of the things that was most disturbing was this. This is May 24th, 2020. Uh, this is a, a lady in a church that says this to their pastor. Great message and reminders to obey, stand on for the word of God and what our constitution gives us. 
What in the world is that doing in the message? How many understand? What they're doing here is equating the Constitution of the United States equal with the Word of God. That's a problem. And that's a problem every pastor should see. We can go on all the details and, and get all the nuances, but this point has to be understood. We are not, as a church body, we, let me put it this way, we are governed by a higher standard in this body than the Constitution. Now, I love the Constitution. God has placed us in a great country where we have wonderful freedoms, where the bills of rights are fantastic, but do you know that we are, are one of very few? This morning, I, uh, I'll keep going with the introduction. That's a problem, by the way. That hasn't been taken down. We come to the stage of, do you remember this? If you live in A, stay out of B. <laughs> right? How many remember that? If you live in A, don't go to your cabin B. This is an estimate on my port, but I believe that Grand Rapids, Minnesota has almost doubled in size since this. Well, maybe not doubled. But I will tell you this, many, many contractors are out a year and a half because of people from the cities coming to live in the United States, uh, the real United States, yeah. <laughs> to live up here. Why? Why? What happened? Does anybody remember? The riots, right? The riots took place. New York Times says it this way, they have lost control. Why Minneapolis burned after George Floyd's death, pent up frustrations, provocateurs, and inexperienced leadership led to mayhem for three nights. And it did. And I don't think they used the right word, to be honest with you. This was anarchy. Anarchy, I'm going to define this way, and, and I understand that it is a long list of definitions. But anarchy is when you feel that you're, you, you aren't being treated fairly, and you're going to become your own government, if you will. You're going to do things your own way and make sure it gets done my way, because I have my... Now, are those rights the rights of a biblicist or rights of an American? Because what happened here has also happened in some cases in the church. I'm going to show you one very shortly. So this was splattered all over the world. Another news article, this is from the uh, Washington Post. Justice for Floyd, we understand. And as this is going on, this is May 29th, 2020. Immediately, 
May 30th, 2020. A pastor comes out and writes this. There are nearly 1.2 million hunters in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Wink, wink. What is he saying? You better not come up here. You'll, you'll die. That was said during the riots. Now, I get the emotions. I get it. All of us say wrong things, bad things, dumb things. I copied this last night. It's still up. There's no notice of it being wrong. This, and I'm not picking on one person. These are many pastors doing this type of thing. We have lost our way. Does this disturb you? It deeply disturbs me. In many Christians' minds, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are equal to, to Scripture. They're not. They're not. I love this country. I love it a hundred percent. I am so thankful God chose me to be born in this country. I love the freedoms we enjoy. I love the open air and the freedom to walk around with a gun even to hunt animals. Not people. I love that I can participate in who we hire. Amen? We all participate in who we hire to run our government. I praise the Lord for that. And as this sermon is not original with me, so far I haven't done anything, but the sermon that I'm going to be preaching isn't original. I have tweaked it. Do not complain about this man that he said something. I'm not going to quote exactly. I might get things wrong, what he was thinking, but I'm going to do my best because he comes at it with this. We are Christians, citizens first before we are American citizens. That comes first. He says it this way, and I love what he said. He says, I am proud. He said this with, I don't know, 700, 800 pastors in the audience. He said, I'm proud to be an American. Let me ask you, are you proud to be an American? He goes on and says, someone should write a song about that. But he's right. <clears throat> but we have a problem within the church. We confuse our rights as Americans with God's rights as a Christian or what He expects us to do. And this morning, I'm going to show you the difference biblically. And it's not found in just one passage of Scripture that is kind of weird. It's found in multiple passages of Scripture. It is strewn throughout the whole New Testament for sure. Why is this important? Well, Jesus answers in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. 
Who are kingdom citizens? If you're a kingdom citizen, say amen. Absolutely. It's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. I mean, he gets right to the point. By the way, he, the pastor didn't talk about any of this. So this is, I will get, when I get there, I don't want to plagiarize and I will tell you. Does that make sense? It's not of this world. My kingdom, if we're of this world, then my servants would be fighting. What does that tell us? Then we shouldn't be fighting. Right? For the kingdom. So that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Specifically, what is he talking about? I'm going to, here's the deal. I am not going to die because the Jews are going to rise up, save me from the, the wrong person, innocent party being slaughtered. Let me ask you, if Jesus had a right to, did Jesus have a right governmentally to live? Was he wronged in being crucified? What's the difference? But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow what? Citizens with the saints and are of the God's household. Folks, we are not of this world. I was going to sing at the end of this service, but we're not. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because that's exactly what this is talking about. What is the principle? The cr principle that we must understand, and it's a very delicate balance here, but there's a principle, and that is we are Christians before we are Americans. Romans 13 is where our passage is that we're preaching through. Romans 13 is clearly saying, obey civil government. In the context, it's talking about God doing His vengeance. Leave that to the government. But it's still obey them. Why? Why did He say obey them? Who put them in charge? God. God put them in charge. He is sovereign. So Romans 13 clearly says obey the government. The problem is there's another passage in Scripture with Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 29 where we are to obey God rather than men. Is there a fight there intrinsic to the texts of Scripture? Yes or no? Yes, there is. There is. What's, what's, now, it's, it's unfair to have the context of Romans 13 and not give you Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees and Sadducees sat him down and said, don't you dare preach the gospel. He looked at them and said, I have no choice. I will be preaching the gospel. When you let me go, I'm going to go right back to preaching the gospel because I must obey God rather than men. So the context is very, it's, it's very similar. These two can and will 
and have and will again fight against each other. Correct? All right. So Romans 13 says, and I'll read this and then we will start the sermon here very shortly. Romans 13 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who oppose will receive condemnation on themselves. Acts chapter 5 says, When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So, there is going to be a conflict. Here's the problem. And it's a big problem. The problem, practically speaking, is in the U.S., who is the governing authority? That's a problem. Let me ask you, is it the president? Let me ask you, does the president have authority? Yep. Is it the senator? In a sense, does the senator have authority? Yeah, he's going to write laws. There's a representative, same thing. He's going to write laws. There's the governor. Does the governor have the authority? Absolutely. State representatives, they're writing Minnesota laws. Does the mayor have authority? Does the city board have authority? Does the sheriff have authority? Does the police have authority? You get the hint. Does the county commissioner? Does the court judges? Does the Supreme Court? Does the U.S. Constitution? The reality is, all of them have, in a sense, authority. That's the reality. The problem is, all of these people are supposed to be following what the supreme authority of our democracy is, which is the Constitution. And people get it wrong. And people get it right. I will tell you this. These guys got it wrong. They thought, I did not get my justice. George Floyd did not get his justice. Therefore, I'm going to do something, what I think is the best thing to do, and I'm going to go out and do it. Who gives them the right to do that? Their own mind. Their own, I mean, they went out and did this. And everybody would agree with that. The problem is, I think Christians might have done the same thing. But we don't really look at it that way. Because we didn't burn down buildings. How many understand this? There is a sense in which we all are guilty of doing our own thing. What we think the Constitution says that we should do. And we do it when in reality it's possible we could be wrong. 
Let me ask you, do they fight about the Constitution and if it's right or wrong and what it says and doesn't say? Every day. <laughs> Every single day. That's why abortion's going on. That's why guns' rights are being about. I mean, you can go on and on and on this list. People are fighting what the Constitution really meant. We can call it a mess. We can call it uncharted territory. Both are true. What's truly true is it's not easy to know exactly what we should be doing. How many understand that? We must bring to the issue humility, honesty, and understanding. This morning, we must understand that in this humility, honest, understanding, what I'm saying is all of us were wrong. All of us were wrong. All of us were right. All of us, in some aspects, were probably right. But God has brought us through this to do what? To grow. To grow. This was not a mistake. We need to learn from situations and how to handle them better. We must learn from this, not just react emotionally. I was talking to, uh, 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 I was counseling someone this last week, and, and they, they gave me a problem and said, how do I deal with this? I said, well, the one thing most people do is they see the problem and they just go around it. They just avoid it like it's not even there. So how does, what does God want you to do? <laughs> deal with the problem, right? Skirting around it is not helping anything. Deal with it. And therefore, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke 6. That's where we're going to be. Verses 20 through 49 is where the whole text is. And anybody know what this is called? Luke 6, 20 through 49. Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount. The person who preached the outline of what I'm going to give today, I will put it that way, because there's no way I can just parrot somebody else. I, I, I just, it's hard for me to, how many understand that? It's very hard to do. By the way, you have to memorize it. How are you going to do that? But his name's Stephen Davy. He's uh, Dr. Peter Gaiman's pastor. He says it this way, the church at large has baptized the American Bill of Rights into church doctrine. And from what I've seen and heard and been on the phone with, it's exactly correct. What does this mean? The church at large has baptized the American Bill of Rights into the church doctrine. In other words, the Bill of Rights is part of orthodoxy in that church. How many, how many get this? How many think that's, that's crazy? It is crazy. But it's understandable because that's how we live. Obviously, I showed you a quote from a church member of a certain church. And they said, I'm so glad we, you, you taught us from Scripture how to stand up 
for the Constitution. How, how, where can you get there? You've lost sight of our purpose. And you've certainly lost sight of God. The church is speaking out and encouraging people to stand up for their constitutional God-given right. How many have heard that term? You've got to stand up for your constitutional God-given right. The Bill of Rights is not a God-given right. I praise the Lord our founders gave it to us. If it was God-given, China would have it. They don't. If it was God-given, North Korea would have it. Turkey would have it. And you can go on down the line. They don't. They don't. This is an American privilege. How dare we take that privilege and raise it up to be equal with the Word of God? It's wrong. It's wrong. Christian leaders, it's not just pastors who are usually less of theologian than, than seminary professors or seminary leaders or people of big institutions. I'm trying not to use names at all. That is not my intention here. I'm talking about principles that we need to deal with. How many understand that? So the leader of a Christian university said this, the church is not going to make progress in the Great Commission unless conservatives are elected to office. What? What? Now, how many want conservatives elected to office? I do. <laughs> but it's not the end-all, be-all. That's only going to last another four years. And it's all going to change. Our, all of our eggs cannot be in that basket. And that's not what God said. Do you remember the passage where uh, the gates of hell will not. Right? Remember that passage of Scripture? Another Christian university leader said, we must fight the evil Satan. By what? By voting them out of office. By changing the school board. By changing this. By doing this. All that, whatever. Fine and dandy as an American, but Whatever. That's not how the church is going to succeed. That's not how the gates of hell will be pushed back. Christ has already won the victory. Amen. That's what the text says. And we need to follow Him. Because He is our King. He is our Lord. This is just, this is nonsense. And it's absolutely unbiblical. To be honest with you, I got notes here. Okay. So the church is not going to make progress in the Great Commission unless conservatives are elected to office. Let's just take a history lesson back to the Bible. Acts chapter 2. What conservatives were in office in Acts chapter 2? Well, let's see, there was Herod. Yeah, he's not one. He's the governor, right? There was the Roman emperor, oh yeah, not, not conservative, no. No one. And yet, the church probably saw the greatest influx of people it's ever had in its entire inception. Amen? Tell that, tell that to 
the church in Jerusalem. In other words, go to them and say, hey, could you imagine what could have happened if Trump was the emperor? How, how, ugh, what a ridiculous statement. That, but yeah, that's the statement that they're saying. Listen, I'm all for conservative, conservative, I'm all for that. But that is a side issue compared to my main job. Serve God, love Him, hold to Scripture. Amen. To be honest with you, Jesus' sermon would not be welcome to many Christians and leaders today. It wouldn't be. In other words, if He was asked to come to a conference, large conference, and He preached the message He's going to preach here, and that Matthew chapter 5, we find it also, and then Romans chapter 12, right? You'll find, oh, this is so awesome. On the heels, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Jesus' sermon would not be able to, in other words, uh, thanks for coming, but you're not coming back next time. That was a little radical for us. It's exactly what would have happened. This morning, we're going to look at eight given rights from Luke chapter 6. You could call this the biblical Bill of Rights. And it's being compared to the American civil rights. Not that the American civil rights are evil, wicked, or anything of the such. It's that the biblical Bill of Rights are what matter to the Christian more than our, our rights as citizens. How many understand this? I hope you understand because this is very difficult to understand. So one of them, eight God-given rights from Luke chapter 6. Number one, the right to love those who you disagree with. Now, let me just ask you, would anybody, anybody within their right mind ever accuse the COVID culture of loving those who you disagree with? Not one. Matter of fact, I think all of us would agree that it seems as though it's planned not to get along together, but to separate each other and make divisions among each other. Now, whether planned or not is irrelevant. The issue is absolutely. COVID divided families, churches, on how do we deal with this. Does this make sense? So, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 this is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, obviously. Jesus says this, He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Let me ask you, did we love our enemies? Or were we waiting at our door with our guns to make sure that our property was not tampered with? I just read to you what pastors had said. 
enemies needs to be understood as hostile ones, ones that are against you. They, they, they don't like you. They don't like your conservatism, but your biblicism. Does that make sense? We need to be tactful with them. We need to love them. That same word love is used when Jesus says, um, when He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Same word. We need to choose to love them. Listen, I did not like the talking mouths on the, on the radio or on the TV. I, I don't even listen to it anymore. I, I couldn't handle it. It got me fired up. It got me more divided and less focused on Scripture. We're to love them. It's funny. The idea here is we need to be tactful with people. Treat them with respect, with love. Someone has said it this way. Tactful means that you treat them so they feel like they're at home when you wish they were at home. True. True. It's easy to love people that share your opinion. But that's not what it's saying. It's hard to love those who have different opinions and that is exactly what this is saying. It's a right attitude. A love attitude. I will guarantee you today, most of us, if not all of us, had a hatred of some people within the COVID issue. Guaranteed. And we were wrong, biblically. Some would say, well, I have a right to speak my mind. Oh, you do, according to the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. I love the freedom of speech. But as a Christian, it doesn't mean the freedom of filth. Christ says it differently. Love those who disagree with you. So we have the right attitude. What is the right attitude according to the Bill of Rights? We are to love. Who? Who? Everybody. So we have the attitude and then there's the action. The action is found in verse 27 also. It says, <clears throat> do good to those who hate you. Now you've got an attitude of love and that attitude of love brings an action of goodness. Amen. The right action. What does that mean? Serve. Let me ask you this. How can you serve someone who is not in your presence? I don't even know that it's possible. It's implied that we don't avoid them. How many understand that? It's implied there. If you're going to do good to somebody, you're going to do good to somebody. You have to be with them. We don't avoid them. You can't avoid them. Some people moved. Get away. <laughs> I love this. As Stephen Davey, he said this. I think it's so hilarious. 
in that, that culture, it was as if you were driving your cart down the stone road, and you see your donkey, your, your donkey, your neighbor's donkey had gotten out of the fence. You'd stop the cart, go grab the donkey and put him back in the fence. You're doing good for your neighbor, for your enemies. In today's lingo, it's like this. You're driving down, you're driving down the road to work and you see that your neighbor who you can't stand, they got the wrong signs in the front yard. Got it? That you can't stand has a flat tire, it's raining cats and dogs, and they're on the side of the road, and you're driving by. And what do we do? Bomp, bomp, bomp. Hi! Thank you, God. You are so good. You sure got him. Let me ask you, is that what our flesh wants to do? It's exactly what he wants to do. See, we are citizens of a different kingdom, of a greater kingdom, of a perfect kingdom. And those Bill of Rights say, do good to your enemy. Let me ask you, is there a discrepancy there? There is. Number three, found in verse 28. Verse 28 says, <clears throat> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So, write to be gracious to those who curse you. So, it is interesting, I was not aware of this, but it is interesting in the world of biblical culture, people would write down curses against their enemy on a piece of paper and then bring them to the temple where their God resided and handed them over and they have all these curses. They still have these, some of these papers. So it's understandable what they're talking about here. They're literally asking God to damn them. As a Christian citizen, we're to bless them and eventually we'll see them pray for them. Let me ask you, this is really tough and it's really tough for me. How many of you prayed for Dr. Fauci? How many, is that understood? How many would rather do something else with Dr. Fauci? As a Christian, we're to bless them. We're to pray for them. Is there a difference in the Bill of Rights there? Number four is what I was just talking about. Number four is we have the right to pray for those who hurt you. We have a right to pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who mistreat you. By the way, this idea who hurt you, this is talking, this is a religious thing. 
This is, according to Davy, this is a religious persecution he's talking about. It's, it's discrimination. We are not to shout louder. We are not to demand our right, but we are to quietly obey God. This is where you have to be very careful in how you word this. How many understand this? Extremely careful. Listen, this is where, this is exactly probably the number one issue that all churches faced. And it was how do we deal with God says this, government says something different to not allow us to do that. And listen, whether we like the word or not, it was discrimination. It was. You cannot attend church, and California was worse. You cannot come together. You cannot worship together. That was discrimination. Now you have a choice. We can scream, that's my American right. Who cares? Is it your right? Yes. Freedom of religion. What matters is, God tells me to be there, I'm not going to shout from the mountaintops. I'm not going to make a big patriotic statement about it. I'm just going to go to church and worship God. Amen? I'm just going to go and worship God because in this case, to obey God is, is instead of men. I, I blew it, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not about my right, my American right. It's about obeying God. And there is a difference in that. But most Christians didn't do that. We screamed, freedom of religion, what are you thinking? We played in their game. China doesn't do that. Matter of fact, in China, Pastor Davies was talking to his translator he goes over there. And he was in front of, I think, seven different pastors. And his translator looked at him and said, Pastor Davies, all of these men have been in prison for three years each. It's the minimum. They won't even talk about it. They just keep meeting. They just keep obeying God. I will tell you this. If John MacArthur would have been put in jail, all hell would have broke loose in this country. True? All oh, the persecution! Stephen Davies used himself. He said, if I would have been put in jail, I will tell you this, I would have wrote a blog, I would have talked about it, I would have talked about it wrote a book about it, and everybody would know about it. All the persecution that I went through. Why? And he was saying that somewhat sarcastically. Because it's not about that. It's not about that right. It's about obeying God and we do it quietly. Does that make sense? With respect, dignity is the term. Pray for those who mistreat you is about discriminating. We are, we are not to demand our right but are to quietly obey God rather than men. Not the right of religious exercise or peaceably assemble. Those words ring a bell? That is a quote from the Bill of Rights. This is a wonderful right, but God is not giving us that right. America is. 
China's not, Korea's not, Turkey's not. The reason we assemble is not because America gave me the right, but it's because God commands it. That's why. That is why. God commands it. There's no, diff there's no different biblical messages, message depending on where you live and the government you're under. How many understand that? To be honest with you, and I think he's absolutely right on this, what you preach here from God's Word should be able to preach in every nation of this world because Americanism should be out of it. That's the issue. Don't preach and teach the American Bill of Rights. You preach the Bible. It's a passage in Scripture, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. It's very interesting. This is not a written out sermon. This is only a, a video that I'm watching um, to get some of this information. But it's not 2 Timothy, which was what was written. I was going, what in the world? I better look up. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Even the good theologians have wrong slides. <laughs> I don't <really> understand that. <laughs> First of all, then, he says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. So that why? Why? What's the purpose? So that we may lead a tranquil, quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Listen, that, that wink, wink post on Facebook that says, hey guys, you better look out. There's 1.2 million deer hunters up here saying with guns and we will protect what is ours. That is not tranquil and quiet and godly dignity. That's the antithesis of it. I understand the emotions involved. I get it. But I will tell you this, my house is not as important as that man's life. It's not. Matter of fact, there's a biblical bill of right that deals with that coming up soon. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of truth. Number five, right to refuse to take revenge. Verse 29. Verse 29 says it this way. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do... And that's, that's the next one, so I'm not going to deal with that one. The deal is, whoever hits you in the cheek... We say, well, that, does that mean if someone comes and hauls off and slugs you, you just give them the other one to go ahead and try again, see if I get knocked out? That's not what that text is saying. And if we would go to the Matthew text, that helps us understand it. The text says, if, well, I will read it to you. How's that sound? Uh, <clears throat> it says this. But I say to you, do not resist any evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, say, well, well, what do I care if it's right or left? Well, the custom of the day is, what they were saying is, 
you were insulted. It's an insult. insult. It's not a literal physical thing. If anyone, and then he goes on, he goes on. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, what do you do? Give them your coat. Whoever forces you to go a mile, go two. We are wronged and we are right. We were wronged and we were right. So we want to be vindicated. How many understand that? Someone insulted us and I will get back. I will get my reward. I will get my vengeance. That's not a biblical right. That is an American right. There is a difference. The words, I told you so, is exactly what this verse says not to do. I was right in this, see? (sighs) Listen, the only thing right in this whole world is His Word. Period. We don't need to win the argument or vindication. Willing, winning will happen. It'll, it'll happen, but they will happen in God's time by God Himself, and none of us will stand there and point our fingers at them and cry, See, I told you so. I was right. Na 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 na. You can go to hell. None of us are going to say that. God is not unjust God. He will not overlook the love that His people give to their enemies. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. By the way, number 6, we'll just keep going because I'm going to... The right to be defrauded of possessions. Verse 29 says, as on the heels of what we just talked about, whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Our privacy, possessions, our houses, our paper, our property are all to be, we are to get recompensed or given back money for those. That is an American Bill of Rights. It is not a biblical Bill of Rights. There's nothing wrong with the American Bill of Rights. I'm thankful that it's there. But we can't hold it up as our Bill of Rights as Christians. This is our Bill of Rights. This is what's more important. That's found in Amendments 4 and 5. We have the right to keep our stuff, God says. Does He? Does God ever say we have the right to keep our stuff? No. He says the exact opposite. I think that's going to go. Really? Can you imagine? Number seven, we're going to quickly go through these. <clears throat> Did this go away? Can you hear this all right? Is it out on? Uh-oh. Can Facebook people hear it? Because I know there's a family that's very interested in this. Number seven, 
the right to not get back what others have taken. This is talking about borrowing stuff. In other words, a poor person asks for some help, but they can't give it back. They can't give you back what you should get for it, or even give you back the if it's money or if it's a, a level or whatever. They can't do it. The Fifth Amendment says you must be given compensation. But the reality is people are more important than compensation. That's the issue. People are more important. So getting back what you've been given, guaranteed or be compensated, is an American right. It's not a biblical right. Number eight, right to not see your wishes come true. In all honesty, and he didn't preach on this one very long, but I will tell you this. This, I think, really goes down to the heart of the issue. I praise God for America. I praise him so much that I can work my dreams. How many understand that? And I'm so thankful for that. But biblically, I don't have a right to see my dreams come true. So where in the world do we get that? Follow me. This is very good. 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. We help others see their wishes. Amen? Is that what that's saying? It's a golden rule, right? We help others see their wishes, see their, uh, 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 their desires. But ours might not be realized. How do you know that? Well, let's keep reading, okay? Just for a second. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? In other words, we're going to try our best to help them, those people see their wishes come true. But, follow me. If you're doing it so you get something back, what good is that? What good is that? Already, immediately, he's pushing back that you are not going to see your wishes come true. Perhaps. It's not a right. Keep following. If you do good to those who do good to you, what good is that? Every sinner loves who loves them. Every sinner does good to those who do good to them. If you lend to those from whom you accept to receive, what credit is that to you? In other words, I'll scratch your back. Pastors do this all the time. I had a pastor in northern Minnesota call me and say, hey, Tim, I want you to come up and do a Valentine banquet for us. Could you come and preach? I said, you bet. I'd love to preach. Two months later, hey, how come you never invited me back here to your church? Well, that would be a problem. How many understand this? Every sinner lent, sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. So love your enemies and do good and lend 
Here's the, look at, this is the, right here, verse 35. Expecting nothing in return. Expecting nothing in return. And that's, now, let's just look at it on the screen. If you love those who love you, what prayer is to you? We just read it. I want to go down to this part. Expecting nothing in return. I think that is so important. And your reward will be great, and you will be the what? This is when you start looking like God. Sons of the Most High. Let me ask you. Are these our Facebook posts? Are these our Twitter wars? Comments? Does our speech as a Christian mimic the principle? We have got to reject the rhetoric of the world. We do. We have to rise above the arguments. Lastly, we have to remember the Great Commission. That's why we're here. Now, maybe I was way wrong. Maybe the pastor that threatened those people with a gun, if they came on their property, just was going to see if they wanted to know the Lord. possible, but that's not what's written. How many understand that? Paul used his Roman citizenship sometimes to not be punished and to give a fair hearing, but never, ever called those Roman citizenship rights equal to or alongside of God's Bill of Rights. He never did that. You can't do that to me. I'm a Christian. He never said that. We get confused all the time. we got to be careful. He never called them Christian rights. He never called them God-given rights. If that is correct, then why do we, what do we do with Romans 12 and the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel? What do we do with them? They're at odds with one another. We are here for the gospel. We vote our conscience, but we're not here to legislate morality and bring them into the kingdom. We are here to proclaim the gospel. Our mission is eternal, not temporal. Here's the reality, and I think this, this, this just hits it on the, the nail on the head. Our mission is not to save America. I would love to. I don't want to see it die. I love the old America. But my mission is not to save America. My mission is to save Americans. I don't think you can say it any better than that. Because out of that flows all of what we just talked about. 
Christians are called to God's Bill of Rights. Luke chapter 6, Matthew chapter 5, Romans 12, and all of the New Testament bear that out. There's no question. Now, I'm going to end this with an illustration that is beyond my imagination, and it impacted me greatly. Little did Stephen Davy know, and I'll tell you that in the end, but how many remember the Berlin Wall? East Germany was a, is a communist, communism to the hilt. There was people that were in charge called um, Honecker. And her name, it was a husband-wife team, the Honeckers. The Honeckers ruled it for many, many, I'm getting all the details wrong. I'm just going to give you the story, okay? You can look it up. You can see that what I'm telling you is going to be true. The Honeckers were in charge of everything. Mr. Honecker, Eric Honecker was his name. Eric Honecker was the communist leader of East Germany. For years, his wife was in charge of the educational system in East Germany. For years, when the Berlin Wall fell, the communists stripped him of everything. They took away his house. They took away his money. They took away everything he owned. He had nothing. They stripped him of everything. All Berlin screamed in a, yes, great, get him out of here. But here's what happened. Eric Honecker and his wife went to a pastor's house. The pastor's name was Cornelius Homer. I don't remember exactly how many children he had, but it was quite a few. I believe it was eight. Or I believe it was eight that I'm going to talk about. Eight of his children were not allowed to go to high school and graduate because of this lady. She refused to let them do that. They show up at his house knocking on the door. And they ask the pastor, we need help. Can you help us? Now let me ask you. Someone told all your kids they couldn't go to school, they couldn't have learning, that's not for you, it's beyond you, it's for my people and who I want, and then they come for help, what would you say? Pastor Homer said, come on in. And for weeks, they loved them, they gave them a home, they gave them food, they gave them a bed, they served them mightily. While this was going on, there are outraged people in front of the house screaming, yelling at Homer for being that nice to that kind of a tyrant. I don't know that I could do that. But I will tell you this. What made Pastor Homer be the guy that um, Honecker went to. Why did he go there? I think the obvious is his testimony must have been way up here. 
how he acted under this regime was with dignity and honor and respect and loving God. And he went there for help. And Pastor Homer didn't disappoint. He followed the biblical Bill of Rights and loved it. Now, I wish I could tell you they came to a saving knowledge of Christ, but I can't. I don't know what happened. He, Pastor Stephen Davey, gave us this illustration, which is fantastic. It fits everything we just talked about. Amen. I tell you what, they wouldn't go to the pastor's house that wants to shoot them. Pastor Davies taught this in 2021. As of March 2022, there's a movie out about this very incident. I think we should watch it. <laughs> I'm going to find it and I'm going to watch it. Now it might be in German. That might be the problem. I don't know. But I tell you what, that movie should be seen in every one of our houses. Amen? Don't get me wrong. I love that flag. I just built one not too long ago out of wood. I love America. And I'm very proud to be an American. But I am first and foremost a child of the King of Kings. And my greatest responsibility is not to embrace the flag as much as I want to. It's to embrace Christ and his truths. And if it goes against that, then it goes against it. And I can't do anything about that. That's up to God. My responsibility is to serve and obey him with his Bill of Rights, not to scream my own. We are Christians that are blessed to live in America, but we are Christians, not of this world, aliens with the greatest kingdom this world will have ever seen. Amen? The reign of Jesus Christ. All right. Very tough sermon. It should impact every one of us because all of us have been wrong on this. It should make us think when we start making decisions and even in our posting on Facebook, be careful what we say. Make sure it lines up with Scripture because that's what the world needs. They've got enough donkeys and elephants fighting in you know where. They need the Lord. Let them do the fighting. I hope the elephant wins, but that's not up to me. What is up to me, do what God wants. Please him and follow God's Bill of Rights. Mr. Galen, can you close in prayer? I'll dismiss us in prayer in just a moment before I do an important announcement, and that is, if you haven't noticed, summer is almost gone. September is upon us. Starting on Wednesday evening, September 14th, we will start a new adult study 
on the sovereignty of God. And this is going to be a really a life-changing study. Have you ever wondered about questions like, if God is sovereign, why should I pray? If God is sovereign, why are there tornadoes and hurricanes? How about people who live in pain all the time? God, if you're sovereign over all that, why does that happen? Well, in this study, Scripture will answer all those questions for us. And it truly is life-changing to get your arms around the sovereignty of God. You, you, you won't be the same Christian after this study. But I need to know if you're going to join us on Wednesday nights uh, so I can have the right number of study books so each person has one. So let me know after the service. Let me know uh, within the next couple days. Send me a message. Get a hold of me somehow. Send up smoke signals, whatever method you prefer. And uh, it'll be a great study starting on September 14th. Please, Pastor Graf. Yes, next Sunday we will have a picnic after the service, and then we're going to have a baptism. And uh, that'll be happening next Sunday. And uh, weather permitting, what we'll do is we'll have our picnic at the usual spot over in the Prairie City Park, and then... Uh, we will uh, have those who are being baptized change their clothes, and Blandon Beach is, will be the site of the baptism. That's Forest Lake, kind of right behind the Forest Lake restaurant. We've been there before. I think last time that's where the rain was pouring. Pastor Graf? Yeah. So, so the study I'm talking about, Sovereignty of God, is on September 7th, September, or September 14th. The previous week, September 7th, will be kind of a, a kickoff for fall Wednesday evening activities here. And again, weather permitting, there'll be kind of a bonfire and fellowship time at Graf's Cabin. Okay, and I'll send out information on this too, but a little advance warning. So please stand, I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for making it clear that we need to be Christians first, and then Americans. We appreciate our citizenship in this country, but how much better our citizenship in your kingdom. Father, remind us of these truths as we go now. I pray that they would affect the way we live. In Christ's name, amen.